0: Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here today and that you chose to be with us. Today we're going to look at a teaching that deals with confusion. And this week I had an experience in which I became very confused. Um, As you know, last week I wasn't here and Chuck taught and did a good job. But while we were gone, I asked him if he could get our mail for us. Chuck's the guy that played the guitar uh, this morning, too. And he got all of our mail for us. And I was talking to him about, um, you know, getting the mail so we could look through all of our stuff. And couldn't really find a date uh, where we could do this. And so finally, he said, um, well, you know, I'll just leave the door to our garage open and you can come on in the house, and get the mail. It's right there on the uh, kitchen table. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. So I went, got to the kitchen table, mail's right there, but then beside it, I saw this. (laughs) And just for evidence that you don't believe me like that, I did that on purpose. This is the sock. He's a 41-year-old man. If he doesn't know the difference between his sock and his kid's sock, we are like in a load of hurt in our church, you know? And so, I also, I didn't bring the other sock, but the other sock said Chuck's other sock. So, it even gets worse, you know? And so, we're really not going to do anything today except pray for Chuck and his confusion. Uh, So... That's it. Yeah, right or left. We'll have to try that, too. Um, Well, that was very confusing to me, but I'll tell you one thing that's not confusing to me, and that is my desire that every single person in this place grows closer to God. And we actually have a group of people called our Discipleship Pathway Team that commit themselves regularly to trying to figure out ways how we can help every single person regardless of where they're at on the spiritual spectrum, to take steps closer to God. And one of the first things that we want to do as we're trying to help and create ministry opportunities that will help you to grow closer to God is we'd like you to fill out a card that was in your program. It looks like this. And uh, if you didn't get one, just raise your hand and... uh, One of our greeters uh, will get one to you. So if you didn't get one of these, uh, just raise your hand and someone will get that to you. But we're going to give you three minutes right now uh, to fill this out because we want to help everybody grow. And you can fill it out and we'll uh, tell you what to do with it here in just a second. So we're going to give you some mood music, a little U2 to help you in the mood to fill this out. So everybody, if you would, go ahead and fill this out.
1: Are blue shoots up to the stony ground but there's no room No space to run in this town.
2: It's still working out
0: great, and uh, when you're done, if you can just put it underneath your chair, uh, we'll have people come and uh, pick that up and uh, try to help us as we grow closer uh, to God. Well, let's um, just go ahead and we'll pray real quick, and we'll uh, jump right in. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are a God who desires us to grow closer to you. We're so grateful that you love us and you forgive us and you give us um, hope for a future. And God, I thank you for each person who filled out a card today. I pray, God, that you would be with our leadership of the JAR to be able to know how to help people take steps, regardless of where they're at on their um, faith journey, to take steps that get closer to you. God, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit that has been present the entire time, that you would um, help us to know how to tap into it. We invite your Spirit to come, and I pray that more than anything that I say um, or anything that's been done thus far, God, I pray right now that you would give people uh, a moment with you, that, God, they would experience you, they would grow closer to you, that they would leave from this place changed, From when they came in. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to move so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year, as many of you know, my wife Jennifer and I uh, spent a couple of weeks in Kenya, in Africa, and we had a great trip and a wonderful time. We spent half of the time at an infant rescue mission um, in which we're partnering with uh, now. And we have these uh, soda pop Sundays where we collect money uh, and give it to uh, this group and and help these missionaries. And $500 uh, can save the life of one infant. And so we'll be doing that in a couple weeks, and I hope you'll be generous in the midst of that. Um, The other half of our trip was uh, where we went to different hospitals that were in Kenya. And one that we went to was called Wabuye. And Wabouye is in this rural community, and it's the only hospital within about 60 miles uh, of uh, that area, and so everyone uh, comes to that place. And I'll never forget going into the hospital and walking up to the third floor, and there on the third floor were 150 people who had AIDS, and most of them were dying. They had little time to live. And... They did some rounds with some of the residents, and Jennifer and I went with them. And we walked into one particular uh, hospital room, and there were four beds on it, and they did rounds for uh, each one of the patients. And they did the three that were in front of us, and then I noticed that there was a bed behind us, and they didn't do anything. The doctors just walked and kept going. And I looked behind me, and it looked like there was just a white blanket right in the middle of the bed. But inside that blanket was a woman who had fleas and flies all over. And they walked on out, and Jennifer and I asked the physicians, why did you walk out? And they said, well, she's already died. We just haven't got someone yet to come up and get her. You know, folks, that wrecked my world. And that memory actually still wrecks my world today. Are there things that happen in this world that just kind of wreck your world every once in a while? You look at the world and you're like, where is God in the midst of this? Friends, I know I'm not the only one alone when I when I ask that question because I saw many of you nodding your heads. Yeah, there are some things. There's AIDS that's decimating an entire continent. Children are brutalized. Women are raped. Global terrorism, ethnic cleansing, rogue nations getting nuclear weapons. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I kind of feel like this guy in the Bible in the Old Testament who was a a prophet, a preacher named Habakkuk. And one day he calls out and he cries out to God uh, these words. He says, why, God, are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Why are you silent in times like these? It's baffling, it's confusing, it's mind-blowing to me. And sometimes, you know, we don't say it out loud, but we think it in our heads. Sometimes when we see things going on in the world, we think to ourselves, where is God in the midst of all of this? Why doesn't He do something? Can He do something? Can He do anything to solve these problems? Is he really greater than the challenged and broken world in which we live in? And if he is, then what's his strategy? You know, David's words in Psalm 71, and we've been looking through Psalms these last few weeks, really kind of, I think, speaks and gives insight to this particular topic as we navigate through it. And there's a couple of reasons I think this psalm speaks to us. The first one is that David was dealing with a real messed up world himself. You see, sometimes I think we look, uh, when we think of the Bible, sometimes we get confused and think, oh, well, things must have been great there. No, it was really messed up. There was a lot of bad stuff happening in David's world. And he says this in verse 4. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the wicked, of those who are evil and cruel. And so he describes his culture, he describes this world in moral terms. He uses words like wicked and evil and cruel. You see, David's world, folks, was really messed up. Really messed up. And so that's why we can identify with him. Well, the second thing that I appreciate about David's words is that as he refers back to this, he's he's writing from the perspective of an old man. He's a wise man. This is not the David who was a shepherd boy. This is not the David who was the big giant slayer of this giant called Goliath. This was not the David who was this big, brash, victorious general This is the David who was those things, but so much more. And David comes from a perspective of a wise sage as he's speaking in Psalm 71. David had all these experiences, and at the end of his life, as he's getting older, he realizes that God is greater than any of the confusion in his life or in this world. In verse 5, David describes God this way. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You see, as David writes those words, he's writing from the twilight years of his life. And he's reflecting back on a lifetime of confusion. A lifetime of experiences. And yet at the end of all of it, he says, God is greater. I found God to be greater than any of the hurts, any of the disappointments, any of the fears, any of the confusion that I've experienced. Now, sometimes when there are old people that are writing things, we like to make fun of them, don't we? All of you are all holy today, like, oh, no, not me. I mean, even old people sometimes make fun of old people. I was just thinking about it this week. There are a few things. Uh, You know you're old when you bite into a big juicy steak and your teeth stay with the steak. Or you know you're old when the dreams that you have at night are reruns. Or you know you're old when the flight attendant comes up to you and they offer you tea, coffee, or Metamucil. But we make jokes like that all the time. But friends, there is something valuable. There is something insightful. There is something that is wise from the experience of those who have more life experience, more spiritual maturity than ourselves. In fact, in verse 17, David says this, Since my youth, God... You have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. With convictions, he says, to this day, I am going to let God, the God who is greater than me, to use me. I'm not going to pull back. I'm not going to say, hey, it's someone else's turn. I'm going to be able to stand up and say, God, use me. I don't want to rust out. I want to wear out. And in a world sometimes where old people seem unwanted, David says this, Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. Now, I've seen this kind of work two different ways. Sometimes what happens is as a person grows older, that sometimes they back away. They take themselves out of the action. They say things like, I'm not needed. I had my day. I'm tired now. I'm not wanted. I put my time in. Let someone younger than me. This is a young church. Most of you are in your 30s, 20s, 30s. So, hey, let them do it. And then sometimes what happens is emerging generations cast more mature generations away and they fail to recognize the treasure that is there if they just reached out and said, would you be a mentor to me? Would you speak into my life? Sometimes younger people make fun of older people. Sometimes even in a community here like the JAR, the more seasoned individuals among us are not given the respect and the attention and the listening ear that they deserve. And something that we could benefit from. Friends, I just want to say to all of you who are in the gym today, who don't consider yourself old age yet, do not be deceived. That didn't work the first one either, you know? You'll laugh maybe later on. Just joking though. But don't be deceived. If you consider yourself to have reached old age yet, if you don't consider yourself to have reached old age, Old age yet, then you need to give respect to those who are older than you. Look at what it says in Leviticus. Leviticus is a uh, book of the Bible that uh, is a law kind of book. It gives a lot of rules. And so it'll come up on the side screens. Let's read this out loud together Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly and revere your God. Folks, when we show respect to the aged, it says that God is revered, that God actually becomes pleased because of that. Now, just a little side note, for those of you who are aged, what I want to say to you is, is that if you want younger people to respect you, then you need to live a life that shows evidence of your Christ-like faith. And then the rest of us then are to stand up in the presence of the aged and show them respect. Here's another passage on those who are older than us, how we are to understand. It says this: "Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? There is a certain understanding, folks, that can only be accumulated over a lifetime of experience. No matter how much education that you think you have, you have not experienced enough of life to understand all that there is. And whenever uh, you're going on your faith journey, wherever you're at, one of the greatest resources that God gives to you is people who are a little bit further along in your faith journey. That's why I always try to have one person ahead of me who's more mature in my faith and then at least one person behind me that I am mentoring and trying to encourage them. Like if you're a follower of Christ, that should be a part of your job description. That there's somebody in front of you that you're saying, you know what, I want to learn from them, but then there's someone behind that you're investing, you're intentionally pouring your life into that person. You know, this is what I've noticed in my uh, years of life, is that whenever I'm looking for some major advice, I mean like some big advice in my life, I don't go looking to people who are younger than me. This was true in my 20s. This was true in my 30s. And I'm just kind of in my 30s. No, I'm in my 40s. Now, if I have a computer problem, if I need to put music on my iPod, I get my six-year-old daughter to help me do that, you know. But major life stuff, like my financial decisions, my relational decisions, my career decisions, my marriage decisions, those are the times in which I actually look to people who are more mature in the faith than I am. Folks, so I just want to encourage you this morning and urge you, whenever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself in your faith journey, that you intentionally step towards someone who's older than you. Take a step towards someone who's further down the path, because no matter how book smart you are, you're not smart enough to navigate this world on your own, regardless of the education. Now, there's something quite interesting about Psalm 71. At this older stage in David's life, you would think that he'd be kind of bitter and cynical, pessimistic about the world that's going on. You know, we hear it in our culture all the time. Boy, this world is really going to hell in a handbasket. Now, back in the good old days, things were great. No, no, no. They weren't that great then either, you know. But David, you would think that's how he would be. I mean, he just described the world as evil and wicked and cruel. But he doesn't do that. In fact, in verse 5, remember what he said? He says this For we have, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. And as for me, I will always have hope. Now, what word is used twice in this verse? Hope. Hope. You've got to have hope to cope in this world. Here, David looks at his confusing younger life, and now he's saying, I'm looking forward toward the future that I may not even actually be a part of. And he says, God is greater than anything because I have hope in Him. This is not some bitter old man who's down there writing this. This is a man who has hope because he knows that God is greater than his confusion. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Why was David so hopeful in this confusing world? Why was he so hopeful in our confusing world? Well, there are a couple of reasons. The first one that we find in Psalm 71 is this. David had hope in the next generation. He was very hope-filled. He was a person of hope. He had hope in the next generation. Now, verse 18, David says this, Even when I am old and gray, and David is, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. You see, folks, David had an enormous hope for the world, for his broken world, because he had a great belief in the next generation. Now, I have a feeling that David's enemies were not looking at him at this time as a person who really was very wise at all. They're probably thinking, you know, his greatest days are over. His contributions are in the past. His enemies were saying things like this in verse 11. God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. His enemies probably were looking at him and saying, He's old, man. His time is done. He's over the hill. He's got no way to be able to encourage or fight us. And the reality is that some of that's true. As you age, you get tired faster. Energy levels are lower. Small print is harder to read. And you get winded sometimes playing chess. You know, Jennifer and I, we didn't have kids until I was 35 and she was 34. And I see people that, like, are our kids' friends. They're all in their 20s. And they have all this energy. And we get home and we're like, we're done. You know? I notice now, too, that whenever there's a restroom, like, I was at the airport. Uh, I did a wedding a couple weeks ago in Mississippi. And I was at the airport, and man, every time I saw a restroom, I stopped, you know? (laughs) I heard someone say this one time, anybody who says he can do at 60 what he did at 25, didn't do very much at
2: 25.
0: (laughs) Sure, as you get older, you don't have the same energy that you once had, but I'm convinced... That your greatest impact and your greatest evidence is not in, or your widest uh, influence is not in your past, but it's in your future. I really do believe, and we're not, we're a pretty young church, but there are some of you who are older in the faith and you're older in experience, and I really do believe that some of you are not in the game. You're not doing the things that God could be using you to impact some other people's lives. David knew that his greatest days of multiplied influence and multiplied impact were still ahead of him if, and that's a huge important word in the English language, if he could equip and inspire and mentor the next generation for good in the world. Now here's the second thing that David had enormous hope in our confusing world, and it was this. David knew God did some of his greatest works in confusing times. Through the next generation. He knew that God did some of these great works when things were very confused. Through the next generation. You see this all throughout the Bible, don't you? You see young people stepping up and God using them in great ways. David was a teenager, Samuel, Daniel, Joseph. There was a teenage girl who got pregnant and she wasn't married and she had the, the Son of God birthed from her and her name was what? Mary. Mary. Timothy. It was a youth movement led by a 26-year-old who led a bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama that eventually led to civil rights for all African Americans. It was a youth movement in South Africa that led to the fall of apartheid. It was a youth movement in the Middle East that actually created the Arab Spring. And now we have dictatorships that are being trounced because people want democracies. And you know what's true about this church? Is that it was a bunch of... Ball State students and 20-somethings and a couple 30-somethings that got together in a home and started doing the works of God. And eventually now there's two celebrations that we do. Why? Because God uses the next generation. I'll say it again. Historically, he has done some of his greatest work in confusing times through the next generation. The next generation stands up and say, I'm able because I believe in God who is greater than my confusion, who is greater than the confusion of the world. I am able because God is able. You know, I've always had young people around me uh, when we have started the jar. I've always had staff in which uh, many of them are, are younger than, than me. And part of the reason I do that is because I want to know how to connect to the culture in the best way possible. Because we're in a video-driven, social media kind of culture. And I have to force myself to get on Facebook and do three or four kind of things, but I know it's a culture that is communicating that way. And Derek and Mikey and Emily and Stephanie, they stay on me about staying connected uh, to the culture. That's why we have goofy videos like we had today about a single 26-year-old being an expert on marriage. Why? Because when people walk in sometimes who are in that generation, they're like, ah, that's funny. I can relate to that. That's why we have a Facebook page. Because we believe that if we want to reach Muncie and Delaware County and all of east central Indiana of kids who are teenagers and in their 20s, then we have to speak their language. Because we have the greatest message, but if we can't translate it, then it doesn't matter. And we've got to be open to the fact that they wear things differently and they look differently when they walk through the doors. And this church has always been about that. We've been a come-as-you-are church. I'll never forget the very first Sunday my dad, uh, who was in his early 70s, walked into this place. And he walked in the way that he dresses at his church. And so he had a suit and a tie on, and somebody went up to him, and they had shorts, a T-shirt, and flip-flops. And they walked up, and they said, hey, welcome to the jar. Are you from out of town? (laughs) Now, I don't have anything against somebody if they want to wear a suit and tie. That's fine. I mean, sometimes I'm concerned whether or not Derek uh, will even wear shoes, you know. (laughs) But this whole idea, folks, of being come as you are is a reflection of Jesus. We don't do this because we just want more people to come in. We do this because that's the way Jesus was. He was not concerned about people's outward appearance. You know what he was concerned about? Their heart, their soul, what was inside of them. Friends, make no mistake about it. God has used the inspiration of the next generation to impact this church. I think, actually, we become more Jesus-like when we have people who are younger coming in and challenging us. And I just want to say that for those of you who are in your late teens, 20s, early 30s, that if you've ever wondered, you know, I don't know if I've place to play here? You do. God wants to use you. We want to learn from you. Because the cause of Christ includes every generation. The reason why this is so personal to me, and some of you might be like, I came on June 9th for this. You know why it's so personal? Because someone gave me a chance. At the age of 22. 22. No experience whatsoever. Wasn't trained as a pastor. And they said, hey, we'll we'll take a chance on you. I was the youngest person on our leadership team and one of the youngest people in the church. And some of you might be like, what was that like? Well, this was what it was like. When things went really, really well, which they didn't very often. But when they did, by God's grace, they would go, wow, he is so young. And when things went really, really, really bad, which was most of the time, they would go, ah, he's young. But this is the reason why I've been committed, and I always will be committed to encouraging, empowering, helping younger people grow closer to God and allowing them to have ripples. When we were in Tennessee, my girls kept throwing rocks every once in a while, and all of a sudden, you'd see a ripple effect. And I kept thinking, you know, one day, Jordan and Shiloh will be in the kingdom of God, working uh, working within the kingdom of God in great ways, and they'll be making ripples. And I don't want to be the person that holds them back from making ripples And all of you have made your ripples. And you want to give other people who are younger the opportunity. Now, yes, I made mistakes. Yes, I messed up most of the time. Uh, but these people just loved me and they kind of you know, put their hands out and said, hey, let's do this thing together. And we made a difference in Carroll County in the brokenness of that world. And you see... David knew something, that those of us who no longer fall into the category of the next generation, you know who you are, I won't tell you. But I'm putting myself there, so if you're in your 40s, or you're older, you're in the next generation. You're at halftime in your life. Okay. Here's what he understood. He understood that we have a responsibility to develop, to deploy, to equip, to empower, to encourage, to mentor the next generation, and to understand them so that they can be unleashed to do what they see God doing within their spirits. We have that responsibility. Folks, the reality is is that 20-somethings and 30-somethings are longing to be mentored by people who are older than them. They may not say that, But if you invest in one of them, they will love you forever. You know why? Because they grew up in a world of latchkey kids. They grew up in a world of single-parent homes. They grew up in a world in which they didn't have maybe some of the support that some of you who are more seasoned had. When I first started pastoring in 1994, there was a pastor on the West Coast named Ben... uh, Merrill. and he was 65, and he retired. He was a, a pastor of this big megachurch in Southern California, and he retired, and he decided he would retire in the suburbs of St. Louis. And there was a church there of about 150 people, and they said, "Would you just come and you know preach every once in a while?" And so he did. And then they called him to be their to be uh, their pastor. He's 84 years old today. You know how big that church is? 3,500 people. He really slowed down, didn't he? Now, this is the ironic thing about that church. Some of you I know are already saying, yeah, you probably got a whole bunch of old people like him. No, no, no. The entire church is mainly made up of younger families and young people. And now he's learning how he passes the baton on to this young church. Now you might say, well, how could an 80-year-old relate? You know how he could relate? Because he loved God, and then he just met people exactly where they were at. And a lot of these people they find strength, they find encouragement, they find hope, they find, hey, you know what, this is a grandfather I never had, this is a father I never had. I want that kind of spiritual person in my life. I think of my dad, who 14 years ago uh, retired from pastoral ministry, and since then he has worked at several different churches and he's gone to over 10 mission trips in the last 14 years. He was going to go to this one uh, that they just went to in Mexico, but he had already he's preaching today in Anderson and the next week he's going somewhere else. And I think of his life. And I remember after the second mission trip that he went on, there was like this pattern that had developed from the first one and the second one. And the pattern was that there were these 20-something and 30-something women that would come up to me and they would say, man, I love your dad. I really look up to your dad. I wish I had a dad like yours. He is truly a man of God. I remember one of them even coming up and saying, your dad is hip. (laughs) Then we got her some psychological help and, you know... But these young women would just look up to him. And this is what I started to notice, because he'd gone to ten of them. I started to notice that almost every single one of these young women didn't have a father that was in their life. And almost none of them had any spiritual male influence in their life. And that's what my dad became to them. And they'll still call him, and they'll ask him stuff. Because he gave wisdom and encouragement and love. Recently, we had a big push for volunteers for Impact, our uh, middle school ministry. And there were people that signed up to help out. There were some college students and there were some 20-somethings and there were some parents um, of kids that said, Hey, you know, we'll help. We'll, We'll help with that. And then out of the blue, there was Eric and Lori Gillette, who signed up, who are Hems years old. And at one of the very first impact meetings, uh, the kids were talking about rock and roll music, and Eric goes, yeah, I like rock and roll. And they're like, really? He's like, yeah, I was at Woodstock. And then all of them said this, What's Woodstock. (laughs) Now luckily, Eric had enough wisdom not to tell them what Woodstock was like or what he did at Woodstock. (laughs) But Eric and Lori are investing in these kids and letting them know that God loves them, that God cares for them, that they have great things that they can do for God. Folks, I I was just thinking about it, and we're a young church, but there are some of you who are um, very wise. What would happen if every follower of Christ who has 25 years of following Christ or more just said, I'm going to invest in one person? What kind of impact would that have? Friends, David understood that the responsibility of investing in the next generation was not that the next generation had to build something for him or that they had to meet his needs. They were just to respect and honor him. And he understood that primarily the responsibility for him, as one who was further along, was to develop and deploy and encourage and equip and to understand and unleash the next generation into fulfilling God's command. Because historically, God has done some of his best works in confusing times with the next generation. Two weeks ago, I went to the uh, funeral of my first Sunday school teacher, uh, the person who kind of helped with uh, children's ministry. Her name was Thelma Heilman, or we called her Grandma Heilman. Everybody in the whole church. Now, often you would think that at 93, there probably weren't too many people at the funeral, right? Because she outlived everybody. And there weren't very many people in their 80s or 90s, but you know what? That place was jam-packed. And you know what? Half of the people were teenagers or 20-somethings or 30-somethings simply coming back to give honor to someone who had taught them about Jesus. You see, Grandma taught Sunday school for 60 years. And there were a couple hundred people that were there. And there's all this kind of intergenerational connection there because she had left such a great legacy of what Christ can do when you invest in the next generation. Friends, I think that's kind of what God's dream is for his family, that we come together. We looked at a verse earlier. I'd like us to read this out loud together again, uh, but let's read this out loud. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. Now, I don't think this is talking about chronological age. What I think it's really talking about is spiritual maturity in the faith, in the journey. The Bible says, stand up in the presence of the aged. And what I thought we would do today is kind of reverse that around a little bit. And so not right now, but any of you who have followed Jesus for 25 years or more, maybe not perfectly, but you've been doing your best to follow Christ regardless of your age, 25 years or more, I'm going to ask you to stand here in a second. And what we want to do is we want to honor you and revere your name for following Christ that long. So if you have followed Christ for 25 years or more, would you please stand? And we would just like to honor you and thank you for that. So let's, uh, let's give them a hand. We really do. We honor you. Now stay standing. I know you all want to be humble. And uh, I want to give you guys a challenge as you're standing. And the challenge is this. That God want you to look right now at the other people that are in this room. So kind of look around. That it is your responsibility to invest and impact those who may not be as long in the spiritual journey as you want. Now I'd like everybody to stand if they would. And I was just thinking, because we've been on this series, uh, God is greater than, that I didn't want anyone to leave today, regardless of what you're going through, not knowing that God really is greater than whatever you're going through. God's greater than your disappointment. God's greater than your hurt. God's greater than your fear. God's greater than your confusion. And those who have been more spiritually mature in this faith, they could tell you, yes, He is. David kind of ends his psalm at this aged point in his life, and he says this, You who have done great things, who is like you, God? Who is like you? There is no one that is greater than the God that we serve. And I thought the way that we would end our time together today is that all of us kind of worshiping together the God who is greater than all things, all issues you might be dealing with. And that we worship the one who's greater than. In fact, he kind of ends the psalm with praise and worship in the psalm. And he says this, I will indeed praise you with the harp. I will praise your faithfulness, my God. On my harp, I will play hymns to you, the Holy One of Israel. I will shout for joy as I play for you. With my whole being, I will sing because you have saved me. I will speak of your righteousness all day long because those who tried to harm me have been defeated and disgraced. I praise you. I praise you. And so together, let's come together and praise the One who is greater than then.
3: God who is greater than we just thank you for a series that we've wrapped up today of how you're greater than our fear how you're greater than our disappointments in life how you're greater than our confusion and God we just thank you for a lesson today about wisdom and how as throughout this series we've spoke about David in different times in his life and how our lives represent that too. And how wisdom is something that, as he talked about Grandma Eileen, whatever it was, and, uh, and 200 people at the funeral. 200 people that this lady living a life of Christ has impacted. And I know there'd be so many more, too, that wouldn't have been able to make that. But how she's been able to love on people of all ages, guide people. I imagine the people that she has prayed for in her life. And God, I just pray that each of us get a little bit of that in our hearts. That we realize as, as hands and feet of Jesus Christ, that our hands reach out to people that are older than we are. And we let them guide us along. We, we learn things about marriage and the way to act and things in life from them. And at the same time, we're reaching behind us and we're pulling somebody along. Get them up to where we are, where we're at with things. And we're able to guide somebody along the best of our ability. So God, just allow us to just honor you, whatever age we are, to the best of our abilities right now. Knowing that you are the God who is greater than. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Know that you're always loved in this place. There'll be people up here if you need prayer. We'll see you next week.
1: sacrifice